Tuts kanlaingri. Nun padkaist umich itia kinsi ne itia kinsi la oplis tu ilia. Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me in the great state of Wisconsin is William Annis. Hello. And in Virginia right now, uh, visiting the boyfriend is Mike Lentine. Hello. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) And we have a special guest on the show today, and his name is Jeffrey Jones. He's... uh, Chihoske on the um, Zompist forums. That's Chihoske with a, a Q. Um, and Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into conlanging and you know your your story within the community? Okay. Well, um, I started taking uh, language courses, or in some cases, self-study, you know, German, Spanish, Latin. Um, when I was a teenager, um, and that's what got me started, inspired me to start constructing languages, although I never got got very far. I think I did a Romlang or something like that. Mm. Um, but when I went online and found the Conlang um, list is when I really started. I started uh, practically everything before that was just um, usually a page or two of notes and no actual language. But I've been busy since then. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen your page. You have a few different languages there. Um, one of which we're actually going to be featuring today, but we'll, um, we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, but first, why don't we talk a little bit about another thing, our main topic for today, which is a practicum about getting rid of tense. Hmm. So, we all know what tense is, you know, past, present, future, or past, non-past, or uh, whatever paradigm you do. It's it's sort of note, noting a a uh, an event's place in time. And I think mainly we're talking about in terms of getting rid of tense. We're talking about William. I think we're talking more about getting rid of morphological tense. Isn't that right? Right. So. For my notes for today, I, I sort of was being a smart aleck, and I just put, you know, <laughs> the shortest show ever, colon, use adverbs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The point is, is we're talking about some sort of morphological or maybe syntactic tense marking on the verb. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tense is just a category of dexis. Dexis is a fancy linguistic term that means pointing out. So things okay. like this and that are dexis. Come and go encode pointing out information. We're talking about morphemes that only do the job of locating an event in time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, an adverb like yesterday also locates an event in time, but it's not tense because it's not a marker on the verb and it means something quite specific as opposed to past, which may be quite vague in meaning. Okay. Mm. So that's just what I want to talk about is, is, Various things you can do when you don't have overt morphological tense marking on the verb. And 
And honestly, I think most of our practica are things that conlangers don't think about as much, but I think that quite a few people do at least get the idea of just getting rid of tents. Quite a few, I've seen quite a few conlangs that they, they do the thing of they, they choose to do aspect rather than tents and things like that. Yeah, but, it's probably a little bit more popular since at least in all of these speakers of Indo-European languages are accustomed to tense and find aspect kind of interesting and new and alarming. Mm -hmm. um, so we're tempted to play with it more. And for those people who aren't don't know, we explain tense, but aspect is. Um, you want to give a clear explanation of that? <laughs> for me, for me, clear, clearer. When I think of aspect, I think of it's. I I know what aspect is, but as far as explaining it succinctly. Um, Aspect can be whether something is completed or non-completed, or whether it's habitual, or uh, whether it has to do with, I guess, the repetition or how free, how many times that action is done or completed or not. Is that right? Well, um, we I know did not very an succinct. entire <laughs> we we did an entire episode on aspect. Actually, we did what did we do tense and aspect together? No, nope. we, we thought we were going to, but that turned into a catastrophe, so we split them up. Mm. Okay, so we had we, we had three episodes: tense, aspect, and mood, right? And then well, I just uh, figured so. I'd, I'd have to look up. I'd have to look up on the list what episodes that those were. But um, the after a whole episode on it, uh, I'm not sure that we um, really got down to the bottom of any essential. I think the the most basic thing we can say is aspect tends to be more about how the speaker views an event's occurrence in time. By the way, that's episode 17 was our episode on aspect. Mm -hmm. It's how a speaker views a certain event in terms of the time stream. So if you view it as, for example, perfect versus imperfect, or perfective versus imperfective, a perfective is something that you view as a discrete event, and then an imperf imperfective is something that the speaker is viewing as sort of ongoing, stretched out, yeah, an ongoing event that something else interrupts, or that, or just that is more stretched out for some reason or another. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's really important to understand that the perfective. I mean, and we say this all the time: is something complete or not? That's not what aspect means that's well it can mean that but it's not what the perfective means because if i say i was going to the store yesterday or i went to the store yesterday one of those is imperfective one of those are, is perfective they describe the identical event which is definitely complete because i'm talking to you now i'm not at the store <laughs> um but the point is using one aspect or the other helps you organize the relationship between background information and foreground information. Mm -hmm. I was going to the store yesterday, and I saw a car wreck. Mm -hmm. It's all about the presentation of the event. Right, and, and we can, we um, can ro roll yeah. this in, because when you don't have tents, yeah. then your different aspects can sort of spread out to have tense-like implications. So we can get to those in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, let's 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 pull back here and actually get talking more about tense and the getting rid thereof. 
<laughs> because that's that's the actual topic, and we've already talked a whole episode on aspects, so we don't need to yeah, go I didn't, over everything. I didn't mean to re to restate the whole episode. I just meant to sort of give a footnote on oh, just in case you're just joining us, aspect is X Y Z. Continuing, right. it was just a yeah, footnote. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so some languages that are otherwise very aspect focused might still have a future tense. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of expected since the future is kind of moody okay. in many ways. You're talking about something that hasn't happened yet, so it's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. So two languages that come to mind really quickly are Navajo and Chinese, Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've mentioned this before. Everyone will say that Mandarin has no tense, but technically it has two future markers the 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 thing being is that they're distinguished sort of a well actually possibly three but they're all distinguished on sort of mood type features there's there's hui which is more like a potential or even a a uh, an indicative future and then yao is like more it's you want to do something and you're determined to do it and xiang is you you want to do something and you're not certain if you, it it will happen in the future. But the, but yeah, I think talking about the future has a little bit of a different, um, it has a different quality than other, than other, um, other time periods when you're talking about tense, because just, I don't know, there, it's a, a very different, it's, when you're talking about the past, you can refer to events that you are certain happened, whereas in the in the future, you can't be certain of any outcome, really. Right, right. Which is why it crosses the the border into mood so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one thing we can also say is in those languages that have a pretty overt perfective imperfective system, the perfective often defaults to marking some event in the past. For the simple reason that mm-hmm. it's not really clear what a perfective in the present would mean. Yeah, how can you can how can you um, talk about an event in the present that's not ongoing? That's that's also bounded. Yeah, it's a little bit odd. Um, there and, are uh, languages that have something mm-hmm. that looks like a morphological present perfect, but then it often or perfective rather, and it means all sorts of weird things. Like I think in Bulgarian, it's actually a future. Yeah, Russian. I was going to say use it that way. Yeah. Right. So. Hmm. Some some funky things happen there when you try to indicate a bounded event to describe an event that's going on now. It's a little bit weird. Um, so you might um, – one thing you can talk about with tense is do you have an absolute tense system or a relative tense system? Mm. In an absolute tense system, um, you orient events to the moment of speaking. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. in a relative tense system, you orient – your tense marking to some the narrative that's going on, and is that across the language or just based on that uh, discourse, that instance when they uh, do either an absolute or a relative? Typically, that tends to be works across the language. Mm. Some languages are much more absolute marking. Some languages are much more relative marking. Oh, okay. Um, I um, Jeff, did you have something to say? I was just going to comment that um, if you have, depending on what aspects you have, they can serve as 
double up as relative tense markers. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So I tried to do relative tense early on in Iorio, but it's really complicated to write a narrative with relative tense. And yet somehow the Greeks did it completely fine. (laughs) Well, they're Greek. I know. It just kind of broke my brain a little bit and I had to back away from that. I guess, I guess it just is something that you have to learn how to do. Right. I mean, English is much more absolute tense focused. So that's not surprising. It can be a little bit confusing. Um, so you can avoid an absolute tense system, but still sneak in relative tense marking in various ways with things like anterior or posterior tenses, um, which Vietnamese does something very much like this. Now, oh, I'm sorry, go on. And I was going to say, and as, as Jeff mentioned, um, effectively, if you've got a perfective, it can act like an anterior tense. Now, in Chinese, when you say, like, there's the phrase yi qian, like before, or yi ho, after, is that somewhat like a, a relative tense marking in, I guess, an adverbial phrase kind of use, or? Sure. Yeah. I yeah, think anterior that's just means before, and posterior just means after. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Vietnamese will still, I mean, people say, Vietnamese, it has no tense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite <laughs> true. I mean, it, it has, it does not have obligatory tense marking. But uh-huh. it still has these tools to organize the event structure of complex narratives. Yeah. What came yeah. before? Well, what I, came think, I think any language will have something to organize events in time because it's, it's an important thing, even if they're kind of stuck only using adverbs, which Sure. I think most of most most languages will at least have some aspect tricks to to pull. Right. Aspect um, tricks, conjunctions can imply tense or sequencing adverbs. The the point of the Vietnamese thing is especially its anterior marker is very very bleached of any other semantic sense. It's not an adverb. It is a, effectively a relative tense marker. Oh. Mhm. Um so you've kind of ditched tense but you've got a way to fall back. And it's important to say that a lot of the time Vietnamese does not overtly mark tense, but it has things to fall back on if it wants to for clarity. Now, as far as relative tense versus absolute goes, um, is there any time where what would be the past in absolute would not necessarily be the anterior in terms of speaking? Because you're not going to be speaking in the present and the past. Uh, that's going to differ from language to language. Mm-hmm. Um, if, especially if you have overt aspect or, you know, like in most Indo-European languages where aspect and tense are glommed together, mm. anteriors are almost always going to be um, perfectives or some kind of past. Mm-hmm. English or formal English very confusingly uses the past perfective. Past perfect. perfect. Yes. Yeah. And um, After I yeah. hand talks to him. Yeah. Yes. The, all those perfects and... The past perfect, present perfect, plu perfect, future. Yeah, I will have been talking to him. For well, uh, avoiding the, the will have. The, the point is, different mm. languages follow different strategies for how yeah. to mark anteriority. Ooh, that's how anteriority. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> of course. So, the, mm-hmm. Of course, the 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 odd thing is when you're reading present tense narrative, and then the anterior is just past tense. <laughs> right. Right. It, it could exactly, absolutely be used in just that way when, for some reason, you needed to do it. Um, 
we, we sort of touched on this a little bit. The, the whole point of tense is to help you relate events to other events. Um, so you might have special conjunctions or special adverbs for sequencing. There's a very funny use in English of the word now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, we would think it has a pretty clear meaning, meaning present tense happening as the, at the moment of speaking. But you can write in your diary or your, your memoirs when you're famous and old and you want to write a book about your life. You can say, now I was going to college. Uh-huh. Well, that's very odd. And yet we all understand what that means. So you can hijack other kinds of adverbs to do sequencing jobs. Mm-hmm. So now in that weird list is kind of a pastime posterior. <laughs> <laughs> so now, just... among that lo- now... <laughs> I'm sorry. I pulled an interest, uh, an odd sort of thing in Aereo in that I made sha, which usually means so, into sort of the, um, the, as a, into a discourse marker that could also, or more sort of discourse slash temporal marker that could also, uh, denote when you have a rapid sequence of events, each mm-hmm. sentence, you go one sentence, xia, next sentence, xia, next sentence, and it denotes that there's a sequence of events that's occurring. Um, right. Some I languages... don't know if that's naturalistic. Yeah, yeah, no, no. There are some. Um, there's a a spectrum of things "and" can mean. Okay. And mm-hmm. cer- there are certainly plenty of human languages that have an "and" that specifically means "and then." Yeah, and then, and then right? It it uh-huh. is specifically for a sequence of events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For um, natlangs, we talk about what natlangs do. Is it more common to have natlangs that show tense, or is it just about equal that languages that haven't don't? You know, I don't know what the numbers are now that I think about it. So I'm going to make a quick trip to walls. <laughs> um, I didn't even think to, I didn't even think to, to check on how many languages actually do this sort of overt marking or not. Um, I know that uh, there's a uh, tends to be a thing of, you can have tense or aspect or both. Right. Yeah. I can't. Uh, I see there's a wall supplement on tense and aspect. I just Google food. Um, it's coming up right now though. Right, so for some sort of future marking, it's about half and half. Um, for the past, it's again, it's slightly more languages have some sort of past marking than do not. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it looks to me about a half and half distinction for tense in general, where a smaller number of languages make, you know, remoteness distinctions. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not. It's, it is by no means uncommon to have a language that does not have tense marking. Mm-hmm. Um, but neither is it overwhelmingly common. It's just sort of, you have it or you don't. It's not, it's not a, well, you, it's 50-50 almost, so. Almost, almost. It looks like just, there's a slight, a slight bias in favor of tense marking of some sort, but only slightly. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it that way, Still, when for conlanging, it's sort of just, it's always up to individual choice. But in this case, there's no naturalistic reason for you to be biased in one way or another. Right, right. Um, And even languages that have tense might not use it as often as you think. Mm -hmm. 
English uses present tense with temporal adverbs to mark the future a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. So, um, the future mm. will is not really that common in spoken English. I don't think. Well, it's available for when you don't use words like tomorrow or next week. Hmm. Yes. William, where did you find that map you were looking at? Because I found something that I'm not quite sure if it's the same thing you were looking at or not. Is it... Um, here, I'll just link it. It mentions suppletion according to tense and aspect. Uh, that- that's that's not really relevant to our... Okay, well, it mentioned... Uh, the only reason I thought it might be is because it shows four different... There's a map, and it shows... Um, of 193, 36 have suppletion according to tense, 10 according to aspect, 24 according to both, and 123 that have none. So I wasn't yeah, sure if that was relevant su- or not. Suppletion is just a, 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 a morphological uh, trick of um, whether you use basically a different um, root for oh, okay. to the two different ones. Right, it's, go and, go and it, went. It's not oh. really. Yeah. Right. So not the suppletion map that. is all going to be tensed languages anyway, I hope. Or uh, tensed. Or, yeah. I was excited anyway, for a second yeah. there, but <laughs> continuing along. We're not, we're not, we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of um, morphology here, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, um, the whole point is that we're chopping out a piece of morphology. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> or what, what, what's often a piece of morphology. Now, and, yeah. um, um, I'm sorry. Now, Go are ahead. there like. Um, Obviously, like the uh, things like will as a modal, the Chinese future markers are arguably modals or coverbs. There's a lot of other. Are there um, languages that have just like tense particles? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, for even for like past tense. Sure. Uh, that's that's that that just struck me as an interesting idea to bring up. Even though technically you're not really getting rid of tense that way because it's still a grammatical marking. But right, yes. If you've got a word another... bleached bleached of all sense except to mark tense, then it's a tense marker. I don't care if it's a separate word or a particle or yeah. you know, a twist of lime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just <laughs> thought then it's tense. I just thought, you know, you could mention that there's some in I've seen some inventive ways to Mark tense or well, inventive in conlangs. I think some of these occur in netlangs, but like having a particle or even better, marking tense on pronouns. Yeah, uh, which how's it on the subject? Yeah. But, but as far as I'm concerned, that's just tense marking. But for some yeah, it's, mysterious it's still reason, tense marking. But you can play around with things too. Uh, it's that that was just a side note. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have? There's really not that much more to say because it's actually to my brain the way it hits me it's really not that difficult to get rid of tense you just kind of i'm sorry yeah you You just kind of go yeah you just kind of go with it as far as getting rid of tense goes for me i think it's more a question of if you don't have a morphological just something that says here this is your past this is your present then how do you go about sequencing those um, different events that happen? And do you do it by means of aspect or do you do it by means of um, sequencing just like first this, next this? Uh, that seems to be the more interesting thing for me. 
There are multiple strategies, and I would expect any given language to use several. Mm -hmm. Mm. There's only there's just one last little highly technical thing I wanted to mention as a, a possibility we're thinking about for those conlangers who like naturalism is that within different kinds of verbs, different verbs have different internal event structure. Mm -hmm. We talk about either lexical aspect or telicity, which mm -hmm. is kind of an ugly word. Um, so, for example, sleep is an inherently ongoing activity. <laughs> sneeze, one hopes, is not. Uh-huh. <laughs> or kick mm -hmm. um, has is telic versus sleep, which is atelic. In some languages, without tense, mm -hmm. the default unmarked verb might have a different time interpretation depending on its telicity. So that, for example, telic verbs might be, by default, have a past tense interpretation, whereas mm. atelic verbs may have a present mm. interpretation. I, for example, so if, if we just string together the words I and laugh, the meaning would be I'm laughing, but I find a book would mean I found a book. Yeah, that's, um, I've just found the Wikipedia on telicity, and it's, it has how you test for telicity in English. And uh, gives a little bit of background on the difference between telicity and or telic and atelic and right. My um, my those. favorite my favorite test is the begin test. Hmm. <laughs> if you are already doing the action when you say I begin to X, then it's atelic. I start to sleep or I begin to sleep. You're already asleep, so that's atelic. Whereas I begin to kick, you've not actually accomplished the task yet. So hmm. This one, um, this one mentions that uh, one way to gauge whether English verb phrase is telic or not to see whether the phrase like in an hour, uh, meaning you know the sense of within an hour, um, can be applied to it. Otherwise, if you can say for an hour, um, for example, here's an example. It says John built a house in a month. That's fine. Versus John built a house for a month. The built a house is telic, so that they have that marked as bad. Versus John built houses in a month. Sounds a little off. Where right. John built houses for a month is fine because it's atelic. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's really important yeah. for English and probably for many language. The telicity depends on not just the verb. It depends mm -hmm. on the company that verb is keeping and its objects might uh, might matter. So <laughs> it mentions having endpoints, going towards a goal, quantization. It's an interesting – and it mentions aspect um, and gives some examples from Finnish and – uh, yeah, 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 it's interesting. We, we, don't, we don't need to go into, into great detail on telicity. Those who care about these things can look at that and then think about that if you're going to do, again, if you're aiming at naturalism in a language that does not have overt tense marking, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you might want to think about that because there's some interesting subtleties and possibilities that can go on there. Now, if, um, if, you, have a if you have a language that doesn't mark, will you ever have a language that maybe marks tense in... I don't know, reported speech and won't mark it in regular. I know that sounds really bizarre, but I don't know if there's those kind of anomalies in nat langs that you know of. I don't know. That sounds very strange to me. I, I don't know if a natural language would do that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I was just, you know, I, I like to ponder those odd little nutballs that come around. <laughs> that's, that's a peculiar one. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm sitting here saying odd little nutballs. What? Those strange little incidences that come around. So. Yeah. Um, do we really have anything else to say? Um, no. Jeff, a, do you have any other 
thoughts to contribute? Um, let's see, not really. <laughs> um, well, if everybody's kind of done with the topic, I think we could probably move on to the featured conlang. Yes. Yeah, which is, Jeff, this is your language. Um, pronounce it for me because it's very difficult. Clay. So, okay. Clay. 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 Okay. It's very difficult because it has a, an adjective beginning mm-hmm. a cluster. It's, it's K adjective, um, and then lateral affricate. So the, the tl. So that's, um, you, you, you say it quite well. I, I, I imagine you have practiced this. Yes. Um, so talk to us a little bit about this language, the, the inspiration for it and, um, all that kind of thing. Okay. Well, I first should mention that the name doesn't mean anything. I, I picked it, um, for the sound. Huh. Because that's okay. a reminder of what I want to do. Mm-hmm. What kind of sounds I wanted. And, um, it's, um, my, sort of a, a tribute to Eastern North American Matlangs. Although it doesn't really, it's not really modeled after any of them. It's, I ended up doing my own thing, but mm-hmm. that was the inspiration for it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, yeah. I, I have a question. Um, I see you have a native orthography on here. Did you have that orthography before the language, or did it come after you made the language, or did it develop with the language? Um, it came mostly af- after. Mm. That has, um, I was at um, LCC2, or LCC3, rather, language creation conference in mm-hmm. in Providence mm-hmm. and we had an exercise um, we were in groups and I was in a group with Jim Henry and he started um, coming up with some some glyphs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. later yeah later that night I said well this this set of uh, phonemes is not too far if I make if I make a bunch of changes from um the ones in clay. Mm-hmm. So um, I started playing around with them, re- reassigned some of them, redid a few of them, and came up with the um, the alphabet. And Jim was kind enough to um, uh, let me uh, use his glyphs. Hmm. Hmm. Very cool. I wasn't yeah, I wasn't sure. Um, on the f- first page where you mentioned the uh, ph- phonology and transliteration, I see that there are several notations used there. I wasn't sure if you used one while you were making language to make your notes or if it was written in the con script or, um, but thanks for shedding some light on that. It's, it's nice. I thought it was um, interesting that you mentioned that the languages of the native North East of, of America influenced these because the phonology to me screams Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a little bit of, I think, I think, um, some varieties of Mayan at least have ejectives. I'm not, it's been a while since I looked at that. I'm not, I haven't been current working on clay for a, about a year or so. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting a bit vague on some things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So there, then, of course, at the beginning of your chapter on overview of morphosyntax, you just say here, clay uses a direct inverse system with a second person, first person, third person hierarchy. And that is obviously very much 
um, what you expect in the Northeast. So yeah. you, have a, mm-hmm. you have kind of a nice mix of transcontinental mm-hmm. features. Yeah, I'm not- I did like that. Um, moving back really quick to the phonology, I did like that you have very detailed um, phonotactics uh, with specifically which initial clusters are allowed and um, even which medial clusters are allowed. Uh, it's a very interesting little thing. But moving on toward two um, sort of different uh, morphology and morphosyntax and such, there is there's a lot there. Um, I see I'm that there cu- is... Hmm? I was just going to say, I'm curious to know where you got inspiration for how you organize this grammar, because this is one of the more detailed web page grammars we've seen, I think. Mm-hmm. It's certainly one one of my more detailed grammars. <laughs> <laughs> I usually um, lift, just lift the aspects without explaining how they're used most of the time, mm-hmm. for example. Um, organization, um, I um, just did what seemed to work for this language. Uh-huh. I don't always do it the same way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it, one of the points of us, you know, talking about other people's conlangs in this show is to give beginners or even non-beginners ideas about how they can do things to make their conlangs better and more spectacular and, you know, attract all the boys, the girls, and all of that stuff is... So I really recommend this language's organization um, to other people because he covers a lot. We've got really nice interlinears, which must have been tedious. I don't know if you used a web editing tool, if you set this HTML by hand. Well, I do all the HTML by hand. Ooh, gosh. All right. So <laughs> just just an award for endurance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I can copy a lot, a lot of the format. So that's true. That's true. But still, I think the the results are very nice. Maybe not in a color scheme I would choose, but you know that just doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm looking through. Uh, I'm trying to look at when did you start this language? Because I see the page was started on uh, de- December sixteenth, two thousand eight. But the historical development page doesn't seem to be loading for me. So uh, what, what has this been going for a long time? Uh, yeah. It. Um, let's see. I believe the last time I really worked on it was on the vocabulary. That was about a year or so ago. Mm. And I was worked on it off. Well, I worked um, fairly consistently on it at one point. Yeah. I see mm-hmm. updates by all the, uh, by the vocabulary. And I, I like that they're there. That's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then, um, what was I going to say otherwise? Um, Oh, sometimes on here, some of the letters are coming up as boxes, I guess. I'm not sure if that's what you guys... But anyways, it's very nice because you could see... If you can't see the one set of um, letters, you can see the other ones. So I do kind of like that it's in a couple different um, transliterations there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, couldn't decide which one to use, so I used all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's one way of doing it. <laughs> Funny. I like that. uh, that's that's better than me. I just have have started to just exclusively use IPA because I can't be bothered to remember more than one uh, phonetic transcription system. 
Mm. Um, I noticed that you use reduplication for two things. That's nifty. Since we just did, we just did a show on reduplication. Which section are you in? Yes. If you look on the chapter on aspect, Mm -hmm. um, it's used to mark an iterative. So that's expected. And the other one is to mark spatial distribution, which is also, again, on a subset of state of verbs. So it's pretty nifty. Where's the, oh, that, looks, that, that looks pretty restricted. Where's the derivative? At the bottom of the page. Okay, I see it. Hmm. What are the compe? Uh, compe. Uh, compe is a, a sort of a social status. It's sort of a young man, young man who uh, gets into trouble or makes trouble, but when when there's when there's a war on, that's they're the ones that do the fighting, most of the fighting. So yeah. Oh. yeah. So does this is this set in a particular con world, or do you just pick these things to add flavor to the language? And basically, to add flavor to the language. I had planned to do a con world, but I'm very bad at con worlds. <laughs> so that's about as far as it got. Uh-huh. That particular one made makes me think of. Um... The, the compe, what what you described in the definition, makes me think of sort of a, like a tribal society. But um, it doesn't have to be in the Indo-European zone. There there used to be a mm-hmm. standard term for this, and that was a wolf hmm. or a wolf pack <laughs> or a wolf pack for hordes of young men out for trouble. That's true. So it doesn't necessarily have to do anything. I, I'm looking through your uh, vocabulary section, and I noticed you have a word tell that means to speak, understand, read, or write a language. I like that idea of you just lump all language use into one um, term. Mm-hmm. I don't know how natural that is, but it's an interesting concept to... So, Jeff, what additional reading have you done in languages? Because at the start of the show, you said in school you started out with Romance languages in Latin, maybe German. But I'm seeing things here like you have a chart on the modal page that relates deontic and epistemic modality. I do not expect that of someone who's only studied Romance languages in Latin. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I, as I said, once I got on the Conlang list, I've been um, picking up... Um, uh, a lot of a lot of different stuff here and there. Since I'm not at a university, I'm limited on what what papers I can read. Uh-huh. But I try to um, pick up what I can. Yeah, it really is interesting how much education and linguistics conlangers get mm-hmm. just by the by. Yeah, I tell you what, I've learned a whole lot of. I I, I my own experience has been. I learned a whole lot of linguistics just from participating in in uh, forum discussions. Like, not even, like, looking up and finding grammars or anything. It's just there's so many knowledgeable people in the community that are willing to um, help you with things and give you suggestions. Yes. So, you have... You have a prohibitive. That's interesting. That's one... That's a mood that I don't see that often. Um, Holy cow. Go ahead, Jeff. What? I was just going to say that if if I remember correctly, the prohibitive is basically the negative plus the imperative. Oh, really? It's not not something with its own morphology. Oh, 
it uses and it, oh i see so uh, it's i could not... be wrong though <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't so do you happen to remember where you got the idea for a perlative applicative um i think that's one i came up with for myself i think you did uh <laughs> I mean, it's a neat idea. It just would never occur to me to. So, a, a perlative um, is that related? Is that related to superlative? No, it means okay. it. It has the idea of going through mm-hmm. or along. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in his example, this is in the valence changing chapter at the bottom. One of the examples is I walked along the path, mm-hmm. or I went through the house for their benefit. So we have. Two applicatives. Wow. And the applicative is? An applicative is a operation that changes the number of arguments of a verb. Like we're used mm-hmm. to, the, most of us have heard of a causative, right? You take an intransitive verb and you add an argument. I was sleeping versus I made him sleep. Mm-hmm. And applicatives add another <laughs> argument. And they're things like benefactives versus I cooked. And then you could add the benefactive applicative and you'd say things like, I cooked for him. Mm. Or instrumental applicatives. You know, I cooked with a fire. Or more interestingly, I cooked with a laser. This is, <laughs> uh, instead of using prepositional phrases, you whack something onto the verb and you add a new argument to the argument structure of that verb. Ta-da! Yes. <laughs> um, very popular in... Um, certain language families, and it's a very common aerial feature of North American languages. Um, and what Jeff has done is he's made an applicative for the perlative sense, hmm. right? It indicates a route rather than a fixed location. Um, I want to say, okay, one thing that uh, interests me that these guys are not as, as interested in is... Uh, numeral systems, and I'm looking at your numeral system, it's a very interesting uh, vigesimal system. Mm-hmm. And I like that you boiled in a little bit of... Um, I know there. I see there's an alternate form for the word for 40 that is... Um, looks to be non-transparent, but otherwise most of these um, these um, oh, larger forms seem to be fairly transparent. I'm not seeing I'm not seeing anything for very large numbers. So did you not did you not even go with um whether they go to thousand or ten thousand or uh you just wanted to go with the, the smaller ones or what? Yes, I figured that the larger numbers were not that important to them. Okay. Um they may have them but I don't know what they are yet. <laughs> hey, I'm um, looking at the num. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. No, this is just on the numbers page. Also, um, that box that I was talking about, I can't see. It's after. Uh, it's for number two. It's L E box. Do you guys? Can you guys tell me what that box is? Long, oh, that's long or high tone. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. thanks. I, yeah, okay. I see it. It's, it's all over on here. I guess that's probably the same thing all over. So, okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um. He has a like a macron for high tone. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And it looks like you use different stems for the ordinal numbers. Is that how it works? The ordinal numbers? No, I use the... It looks like there's tzpo on the end, or uh, tzpo, depending upon if it's a vowel or uh, if it's just trying to look through. Yeah, mainly it looks like if it's 
I'm not sure, actually, but it looks like mainly CPO or ZPO. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Anyway, I just thought it was an interesting um, yeah. system. One thing... Oh, go on. Hmm? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay, one one thing about the number system I did is the um, the root words are for lower numbers are 6, 8, 10, 14, and 18, if you look at that section. Well, uh, the, the listeners can't can't look at that section, but you can. Um, those are the simple ones, and the other numbers have suffixes aside from one and two. Oh, that's really oh, interesting. interesting. A selection of choices. That's pretty funky. Mm-hmm. I think you might have a typo in your ordinal number stems because thirteen, um, unlike every other ordinal which ends in po, mm-hmm. is ending in ope. Yeah, it's... No, the 17 also does. 17? Oh, my goodness! Nope. <laughs> it's on no, no, that's deliberate. That's He he mentions that there are two Maybe, ways to form yeah. the other ordinals. One adds the ordinal suffix, uh, Y-po, or E-po, or e I'm, I'm not sure what that Y is supposed to be. Might be E, I don't know. The, y, the y, L. Yeah, the Y in, indicates a specific... Modification mm-hmm. to the stem. Oh, that's right. The oh. Y stem. Oh, got it. Right, 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 right. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, and yeah, there, the other the... way is just to add the superlative suffix, which is an interesting thing. Um, but okay, so you have different stems for um, for one. What for one is it? You just have a different mm-hmm. stem for the the first one. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Close. Close. Uh, interesting. I like that uh, numerals are inflected, like, somewhat verbi-like, which makes me think of Nahuatl and other languages of that region. That's mm. a common mm-hmm. pattern. So, you're the eighth yeah. one of us because becomes one nice verb. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, 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 wow, that's really interesting. For an interesting verb, to be the eighth one of a group of us. Yep. Mm. Um, <laughs> wow. Is... Is this language thought of as relating to or interacting with any other languages? Uh, not, not really. Other than the features that were uh, borrowed, such as the second person, first person, third person hierarchy, and the inversion, mm-hmm. and a few other things. Not really much interaction because I don't really know the uh, relevant languages, language families all that well. Oh, I mean, even I mean, with, with other languages you've invented. Oh, other languages? Um, no, although there may be a, a vocabulary word or two that was borrowed one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is Back on the uh, phonology page, I noticed that there was the phonetics were listed in QAPA. Is that something from your conlang domain, or is that something I should know from elsewhere? No, it's something I made up. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> it's um, it's an ASCII mapped phonetic notation. Mm. I tried to get as much of the IPA as possible mm-hmm. into the AS mapped into the ASCII characters, mm. okay. and I made a few cha- made a few changes because the IPA is sort of messy in places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's nice. And it was running out of characters. <laughs> yeah, I see. There's some. Uh... Some uh, colons and less thans and uh, quotation marks. Huh. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what you know, what in English would be looked at as that, but this is part of a symbol, so it's different. <laughs> yes. Um, I noticed there's several different ways to form um, relative clauses, and you have really where's the relative clauses? Where are the relative clauses? Yeah. Yeah. What you chapter? Act- you actually just have a, a relative pronoun, but it has some interesting different forms. Or is it? Yeah, there are a couple. One is for a regular relative pronoun. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You have a relative pronoun thing, and then you have these partitive relative clauses. What are these uh, all about? Yeah. The, um, I haven't looked at this in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Looks I know like I've done that from time to time where I'm I'm paging through, you know, some grammar I've not looked in a little while. I'm like, what the hell? I'm brilliant. When did I ever? <laughs> <laughs> you know, these uh, things I didn't even remember putting in. Well, anyway, there's a whole lot of good stuff. We've talked uh, about a good bit of it, but, you know, there's more to be had. I will have a link to this grammar in the show notes. Uh, does anybody have final things to say about the the language? No. Apart from this is really nicely laid out, um, and I recommend it as a model, <laughs> and there are some really neat sort of ideas lurking in interesting places in the language. So I think there's a lot to a lot of interesting ideas to be had here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, I think it's very – I'm leafing through it like I would a nice book on a Sunday afternoon. And it's just keep finding things. I'm like, ooh, wow, that's really neat. So uh, right now I'm on the valence yeah. changing operations page, and it's just keep finding more and more interesting things. In fact, Jeff, I think I think you should PDFatize this this grammar. <laughs> oh so no! Okay. Print it out. You, the, you no. like it the way it is, William? No, it. I'm just thinking of the complete pain in the butt it will be to PDF all those wonderful tables. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe maybe you need somebody to help you for that. <laughs> um, but I want to revise uh, when I go through it carefully, I want to revise everything. Mhm. Uh-huh. If I if I if I try to PDF atize it. What uh, <laughs> what, So, I mean, are you planning to revise it? What sort of things would you change? Or are you just uh, thinking of of tidying things up? Well, tidying things up, but you never know. If it, sometimes you say, well, that's really worded badly. <laughs> uh, so you're not going to be like scrapping entire parts of the grammar. You're just thinking of normal no. sort of cleanup. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's um, potentially a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a lot. Um, well, I think we can move on to feedback if that's um, all we want to say about that. Uh I got a very long email from a guy named who calls signs his email JS Bangs. Hmm. Uh <laughs> and I don't know if I want to read the whole thing, but I'm saying I'll I'll start out here. I'm writing to say how much I enjoy your podcast. I only became aware of its existence a few weeks ago, and since then I've been doing what I always do when I discover new podcasts that I like. Listening to the archives from the beginning. Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> yes. Wow. It's, isn't it weird to think that, right, we've done, we just did recently the one year anniversary. So that's one, that's 52 episodes of approximately an hour. That's more than two full days 
I'm just a spatling way. Like oh, if you were to listen to them from end to end. <laughs> which I don't recommend. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, anyway um, okay. He says, um, well, basically he said he just got to episode 23 and discovered that his own conlang, Yvrian, uh, had been featured. That's, this <laughs> is because it was before we started contacting people about us featuring their, their languages. So, uh, he did not have any idea that, that Ivirin was there. Um, and he agrees with some of the, uh, criticisms we had that, um, and he says, uh, that some of his problem, problems arose from the fact that different parts of the, dis- the, uh, Language are designed at different times. Like, um, Bianca said that the verbal system was a little, little bit overstuffed, and he said that the verbal complex dates from the all of the morpheme stage that followed <laughs> that, uh, he was in at the time there. So, uh, he says, <laughs> Your funny. podcast has. <laughs> This is a great sentence. It's a good, I'm quoting, it's a good thing I had never heard of evidentiality or animacy hierarchies at the time I initially designed the verbs, or I would doubtlessly have found a way to include those as well. <laughs> All of the morphemes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, your podcast has also inspired me to consider other neglected parts of my languages. In particular, I've been mulling over ways that Yivrian expresses formality and re- reconsidering the entire concept of adjectives. Uh, oh, he hasn't gotten that far, has he? He, he must, he must be listening to new episodes as they come out as well. Yeah. Because the, the getting rid of adjectives episode is a little further. And then his last paragraph, you discussed by ancient a- es- essay and Art Langer's rant when you dis, when you covered my conline and it's very interesting to see how that post has aged 10 years on. If you ever were interested in having me on it as, as a guest, I'd be happy to discuss it or anything else con conlang related with you. Yeah. Well, maybe we, we can have you, yeah. you on. Um, he has other languages too, doesn't he? He had a few. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I like that we're getting feedback from, Someone who became a fan of the show and then discovered that we had already covered their, their con line. <laughs> that, that, that would be a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, thanks. Well, well, those surprises should be fewer and further between. Yeah. In the future, yeah. because, uh, because we're, I'm going through a lot of effort to try to contact people. But mm-hmm. anyway. I thought that was a, an interesting little email. Um, Jeff, do you have any thoughts? I, I guess it's just kind of, uh, it, it's that, that, that's sort of focused on us, isn't it? Um, anyway, yeah. I think we can wrap up the episode and mm. get out of here. Um, so Jeff, uh, I, every week I ask these guys and any guests that we have for any sort of final words of wisdom. You know, a sentence or two of of advice to all the conlangers out there. So, do you have any final words of wisdom that you you'd like to share with everyone out there listening? Uh, words of advice? Um, yes. Not really. 
Um, I've been struggling with my recent Conlon and sketches. Um, so I may go back and work on a play and expand the vocabulary to make it more useful. Mm. Well, that's a, that's 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 an interesting bit. Um, making making uh, enough words for your language to be useful. That can that's. <clears throat> That's not something that I tend to do because I tend to not have have only the words that I need for certain translations. Now, um, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I just had a quick little question on that. Um, when you made Katlay, what was the? Um, was it just an art line for art's sake, or was it for your own personal use? Um, just uh, for art's sake, I guess. Hmm. I I believe I used it once in a translation mm-hmm. uh, relay. Um, but it only has like a dozen or so nouns, so it makes a lot of work every time I have to translate something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, William, do you have any wisdom? I do, actually. <gasps> I have recently learned that most languages on the planet have completely unrelated stems for different question words. So in Indo-European languages, we're used to patterns where in English, everything starts with W-H, or in the Romance languages, everything starts with Q or C. Mm -hmm. That is vanishingly rare outside of the Indo-European family. Hmm. So if you're a a naturalistic conlanger, try Mm -hmm. not to do that. Which means that uh, Ayurio has a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Every every question word starts with... Yeah, right. I mean, it is true that there are languages other than in the, in the Euro, Indo-European language that do this, but not very many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I had to do some 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 retro editing on Kafzai to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's um, my wisdom. Okay, Mike. Uh, nope, got very good wisdom so far. So I'm 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 gonna mull over that wisdom myself and take it to heart. Okay, so I'm going to say happy conline. You have been listening to Conlangery. You can find the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes at conlangery.com, including links to our featured Conlang and a few resources to help you make sense of today's topic. You'll also find links to subscribe to us on iTunes or through other podcatchers, to our Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus pages, and a whole lot more. Questions, comments, and suggestions may be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. You can also submit those translated greetings we play at the top of the show or conscripts to display in our header. Please see the contribute page for details. Thanks for listening. There's the telicity. Right. Oi. <laughs> so. Did yeah. you bring your mic with you? Because you sound pretty good. Yes, I do have my mic with me. So, and it, and I'm sitting on the, on the, there's a nice little table here. So the mic's like right in front and they have a, a router that's not being used by, oh, everything else in the house, like at home. Um, <laughs> where there's literally, my dad, my dad has his laptop, his iPhone, my stepmom has her laptop, her iPhone, my little brother has his Xbox Live, his iPod, 
Um, <laughs> my sister has her laptop, and then I squeeze my computer on when we need it. So <laughs> it's a little better here. <clears throat> well, see, we don't have we don't the the greetings don't correlate with um, whatever the the featured conlang is. It's mm. just what whichever one pe- people end up sending me, mm. which. I've gotten more greetings recently, so I'm I'm kind of um, ahead on those. But natlangs, conlangs, or a mix? All conlangs. Okay. Nobody's been sending any natlangs. Um, <laughs> I just had to have the German one, and that's all. Hmm. We need to find a speaker of Zulu. Yes, we do. That'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That'd be quite cool. In three, two, wait. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> In three, two, wait. Okay. <laughs> and now, and now we're, we're ready to go. I, I was just starting the backup recording. Right. In ah. three, two, one. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and people who create them. I'm George Corley. How does the server die? A uh, server dies in several ways. One, the power supply can get wonky. Mm-hmm. So that happened a month ago. Mm-hmm. And the other problem is if your co-location provider mm-hmm. manhandles your computer when they fix the power supply, oh, no. <laughs> then you have to replace motherboards. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Right. So... Uh, and, I, and I'm, um, at least for, for not V, I'm such a paranoid that I download copies of things every week automatically and save them locally. Mm. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, right. Just uh, because... Sounds, sounds, sounds like a sysadmin thing to do. Exactly. It is exactly a sysadmin thing. Also, I, especially early, <clears throat> we were never sure when the harpy lawyers of intellectual property were going to descend on us. I didn't want to lose anything due to a date down notice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. So hopefully that stuff will be up. Yeah, I remember I was trying to show uh, a Chinese friend some uh, stuff on uh, Dothraki stuff, and she says, "Oh no, this website is blocked in China." And then I checked it, and I'm like, "No, I can't it's get to it." Either. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that surprised me slightly was to learn that. Um, David Peterson himself was using the wiki. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin, when he he's as he's been writing the the last few, the the uh, the more recent of his books, has been using a wiki of ice and fire. 